good impressions. Okay, it is in weakness that power is made perfect. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're here with us, that you inhabit the praises of your people. We've been singing about how worthy you are, and we just want to acknowledge that tonight, that you alone are worthy to be worshipped and served. We're so glad that we can submit ourselves to you because you give grace to the humble. We're so glad, Lord. We thank you for your word tonight, and we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. And we're so glad that we have your word, that you've revealed yourself to us, that we can know you, and to know you is eternal life. So as we wait upon you, Lord, we, we expect you to refresh us. And as we listen to your voice, Lord, we pray that you would give us life. You said there would be a time when you would call out and the dead would hear your voice and they would rise. And so we're so glad, Lord, that you do these things in our lives. And your word transforms us into the image of Christ. And that's what we pray that you would do for us tonight. So bless our time of worship. Draw us close to you. Minister to your people now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this part of Hebrews chapter 10. It draws a conclusion from what the writer's been saying up to now that the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those approach who approach perfect. And he says these sacrifices that the law commands can never make those who come close perfect even though they're continually offered and he says that the law and the sacrifices only end up reminding everybody of how sinful they are and the conclusion that the writer wants to make here is that God never intended to retain the law and keep the law this basis of relationship between him and his people he never intended to do that that he always meant to replace the law with something better. The one true sacrifice of which the law and the sacrifices are shadows. And that this one true sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, once and for all, takes our sins away and makes us perfect. And the point he wants to make is that only through the sacrifice of Jesus is God made happy and, and us made happy. That's what we're going to look at tonight. That we're reading in chapter 10 of Hebrews from verse 5. It says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. 
In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the first thing I want to point out here is that God never intended to retain the law that he himself put into place. Is that a concept? You know, it would be stupendous for a Jewish person to get in their minds that God would actually change what he himself had instituted. You know, in Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And for God to go ahead and change things would be this huge contradiction. What do you mean? What's that all about? And yet, the writer is pointing out that God, in the scriptures, indicated that's exactly what he was going to do. In other words, it shouldn't have been a surprise. It shouldn't have been this huge contradiction to the average Jewish mind, and especially to these Jewish believers in Jesus. Because we have here Psalm 40. It's a quote from Psalm 40, and it was written by David a thousand years before Christ. And it's not the only scripture like that. Further back in Hebrews, in chapter 8, the writer quotes Jeremiah chapter 33, talking about days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the old one. So you see, God has been talking about this all the time in the scriptures, that he was going to take what he himself had instituted and exchange it. All right? So that's the first thing. The reason why God did not desire those sacrifices. Can you imagine that also? You know, I, I counted some 19 times in those scriptures in Exodus and Leviticus about those scriptures that they are a soothing aroma, well-pleasing to the Lord. So every time these uh, sacrifices come up, it's always a soothing aroma. And I like a barbecue. That soothes me as well. And it soothes God. But it's not the burning meat. It is that submission to God and the fulfillment of his will, which is that soothing aroma. But here's the problem with those sacrifices. Is that they are the shadow and not the reality. And, you know, do I have any shadows? Can you see the shadow of my hand? See that? Got five fingers, and when I wiggle them, they wiggle. So, you know, there's a shadow. But what would you really rather have? Would you rather have a shadow of a Mercedes automobile or the Mercedes? <laughs> would you like the shadow of a billion dollars or the billion dollars? Because, right, because a shadow, it has about the right shape 
and size and everything, but it's not the real thing. And these sacrifices and the feasts and everything that was written down in Leviticus is basically like theater props. You know, you see a theater, some, some thing. We went and saw Beauty and the Beast one time in the West End. And you know, you watch the beast get up, you know, and levitate and circle and all these things happen and it comes out a guy. And I actually knew the guy who played Gaston in, in Beauty and the Beast in the London production. I said, how do you do that? He says, well, it's Disney, man. We can't tell you. But you're seeing this happen, and this guy was dead, right? And all of a sudden, he's alive, and he's been transformed. Did that really happen? No, he's just a guy. But it looks so cool, but it's just theater. And you know, in a given week, uh, I think it's six times during the week and twice on a matinee, the beast gets transformed every time. It's fabulous. It's not real. Now, Gaston did say that the beer steins, these iron things, that they, they do this complicated sort of clinking with each other in the, in, the, in the bar scene, they're real. And you can mash your knuckles really bad if you goof up on the synchronization as you're clinking beer steins with each other. But that's about it. Everything else is not real. And nothing happens. So... All these sacrifices keep happening over and over and over again. But the writer says, nobody's made perfect. It doesn't change a thing. That's why God is not happy with them. Because then you remember earlier in chapter 8, here's the problem. They did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them. That's a big problem. If you yell out and God doesn't answer, that's huge. Um, so they're a shadow. They're not the real thing. I'm trying to look at these notes and I'm wondering who wrote these. <laughs> well. Here's the most amazing thing is that God isn't happy with these things. God is not satisfied and it doesn't make pe people happy either. I noticed that in Acts chapter 15 where they're talking about this very thing, this relationship to the law, Peter says, why are we trying to lay on the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? So God isn't happy and people aren't happy with this thing. This idea of law as a basis of relationship. So what God wants to do, what his will is, he says here, is to exchange the shadow for the reality by the coming of Jesus. And you notice in verse 5, he says, therefore, when he came into the world. That is a real important turning point where all the promises of God are made reality. You know, the promise is a fabulous thing. Because God cannot break his promise. And yet, God had made promises for thousands of years. And lots of people lived without seeing those promises fulfilled. 
But when Jesus comes into the world, that is where God is making all of these potential promises reality. And that's why we have to make a big deal out of Christmas. You know, we can't let them, the rest of the world, bury Christmas under Rudolph and ho, ho, ho. Because it's not about any of that stuff. It's about God making his promises realities. So, Jesus comes into the world. And he comes in to fulfill God's will. And what the writer says here is that he takes away the first in order to establish the second. The first being this relationship of law to God. You know, in the beginning, God said, will you be my people and do everything I say? And Israel came back with, yes, we will be your people and we will do everything you say. So he gave him his law. And the basis of the law is, if you obey the law, you will be blessed. If you disobey the law and break it, you will be cursed. And the whole thing about law is that you're on your own before God. Nobody else can obey the law for you. You know, my mother would love to obey the law of God for me. You wait right here, Robbie, and I'll go and obey the law for you. Oh, thanks, Mom. You know, she'd love to pay all my traffic tickets and just take care of everything, but guess what? I have to pay them. Nobody can do my job for me as far as the law. I either have to obey it or I disobey it. And that's the way law is. Everybody has to stand before God on their own with no help, not even from God. So, here's the second. The new basis of relationship with God that has been exchanged. And that is the relationship of grace. This is a completely different relationship where God helps you. And he helps you to a wild extent way beyond what you could ever imagine God doing for you. So that you, when you understand what God has done for you, you go, wow. That's what it should produce in you. And if you ever hear it and it, you don't go, wow, it means you don't get it. Because when you realize what God has done, it should properly blow your mind. Now, this is what the will of God is for Jesus. That he would exchange the law for grace. But here's how he does it, in the right way. That law is eternal, and it has to be fulfilled. And so what Jesus came to do is to completely fulfill the law in every respect. In other words, he obeyed the will of God completely. All 613 laws, he fulfilled them. Gave perfect obedience. The law is fulfilled completely in Jesus. But then he goes on, and he fulfills all the curses of the law. Because the problem is, we've broken all the laws. And therefore, we're liable to all the curses. What Jesus did in his body on the cross was to take all of our curses upon himself. Fulfilling all the punishment of the law, 
all the curses of the law have been carried out on him, but in the right way. So there's two ways you can get cursed in the law. One is to break the law, but he didn't do that. But there's one other curse in the law, and that is, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's the curse he fulfilled. See? Without breaking the law. Now, all of this demonstrates the righteousness of God. He's not going to take our sins and just sweep them under the carpet. Forget about them. No. He has to take care of these things in the right way. Or his own holiness is violated. He's not going to do that. So in order to deal with the law and fulfill it in all of its obedience, demands, and in the curses comes Jesus. And then God raised Jesus from the dead to begin a new relationship, a new life with power. And the result of that is that God is happy and man is happy. Now that's huge, if you ask me. Satisfied. See, he wasn't satisfied with these play-acting sacrifices. Because it never changed anything. You know, you can take a dog, and you can dress it up really cute with a bonnet, you know, and a little suit. But that dog is still a dog. You, you've only done something superficial. You haven't touched the nature of that dog. That dog is still going to run out and urinate all over the neighborhood. But what God does is as we trust in him, as we are included in Christ, we have a new relationship with God through Jesus, a new life with a new nature. And that new nature is created in the likeness of Jesus and is holy. He says, by that will we have been sanctified, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You know, what God has done is a work of power that is eternal and it's perfect. And because we believe in Jesus, our nature is transformed. And interestingly enough, our lives become sacrifices. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Nope, it's in verse 1. I, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies to God a living and holy sacrifice, which is your rational or spiritual service of worship. So here we are, we trust in Jesus, and he makes our lives an offering to God. It's worship all the time. Worship isn't something that we do, you know, just before what's-his-face gets up and goes blah, blah, blah. Worship is our life 24 hours a day. And interestingly enough, there are places in the Bible where it talks about our lives being an offering, like Ephesians 5, verse 2, where Paul says, and walk in love 
as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. As we walk in love, our lives are going to give off that fabulous aroma of Christ. And I like it that it's an aroma because you can't hide that aroma, can you? It just, it's out there. And people can smell it and go, wow, what's that? That's better than Chanel number five. And you can't fake that kind of thing. That goodness only comes from God. In fact, I'll tell you, just coming up on the plane, I met a guy a couple of seats away from me and we got talking and he's a lawyer. Everything is a scam to him because he sees it all. But somebody that he knew needed a letter of recommendation to this thing called Dream Center, which is a drug rehabilitation center. And if he could go there, that means he would avoid being in jail for six months. So he wrote the letter, but then he also had to go and check it out. See what it was about, because everything's a scam, right? And what he's finding out is that this is not a scam. These people actually give and do good. And it's really got him thinking, because he's seen it all until he saw this. And he goes and he hears twice a week testimonies. You know, my, my pastor's ears are going off because he's talking about this, and he says, yeah, I never miss it. It's fascinating. It's, you know, it's, it's about, you know, it's, just, it's Christian. I don't want to offend you with that. Oh, don't worry, you don't offend me with that. <laughs> I, I don't mean to lay a trip on you. It's not religion, it's relationship. Oh, that's interesting. That's good. Well, tell me more. You know, so he's telling me about how he sees their lives are transformed. And these guys are doing good. And he says, there's nothing you can say about it. You mean like they're weirdos? Yeah, I mean, it's so good. See, this is the thing. Goodness only comes from God. And when people who know God are doing good things, you have to wonder, where does it come from? It's real. Now, when he asked me, what did I do? I said, well, I'm a missionary pastor. He goes, oh, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it blew him away because, see, all those testimonies he's been hearing about that's been happening to other people are happening to him. He's coming face to face with good, and he's going, oh, wow. Oh, wow. See? Fabulous aroma that other people can smell. And you know what? God smells it. He smells our lives. And it's that fabulous aroma of Christ. And he goes, oh, that makes me so happy. Because there are my born-again children living a life of worship and sacrifice. And it makes me happy. Now, you know, the interesting thing is we're happy too. And we're happy because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when we understand that, it's like, who can I love? Who can I give to? Because it's so good. We love living that way. Now, you know, if we ever get out of touch from that, being a Christian becomes a drag. Becomes this thing you have to do. And you know, the devil wants to 
subtly move us away from that grace and it, away from that dependence upon Jesus, away from doing good to others so that we're just kind of going through the motions and somehow or other, we're doing this thing where we relate to God on the basis of how am I doing? Where am I at with God? Am I doing a little bit better than my bad days? Or am I not doing so good? You know, anytime we get back into that thinking, we sever ourselves from the grace of God. And it's needless. And it's destroying. And that fabulous aroma of Christ is just blown away. And there's nothing left but kind of a bad smell. And there are things that we can take away from this tonight. You know, the grace has to be the basis of a relationship with God. We never deserve it. Ever. And so we don't have to kind of sweat bullets hoping that God's going to accept me. It's too late. He already does. In Jesus. Because Jesus righteously fulfilled all the demands of the law and it's finished. That's what he said. It's finished. So we can thank God for a perfect, finished work and just enjoy it. Now, you know, we do get messed up from time to time. Jesus said, you know, you're clean, all of you, but you need your foot washed every once in a while. You step in it, don't you? Me too. Sometimes up to my eyeballs. But you know, that's why Jesus came for us. And he did a perfect work. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we learn something as we go through this. And then we think, wow, I am such a sinner. You always were. But he is able to redeem me to the uttermost. And that makes you go, wow. And then you're understanding grace again. See, you never want to move away from grace. Now, you know what another practical thing you can do? is keep reading your Bible over and over and over again. Because you know what? These guys got away from it. If they'd have kept reading their Bibles, they would understand things like the New Covenant and things like Isaiah 54 where it says, I have sworn that I will not be angry with you forever. And see, these are things you can hold on to when you realize what a sinner you are, as the Holy Spirit keeps showing you what Jesus is saving you from. But if you get away from the Bible, you're going to lose the plot, just like these guys were. And you know, the writer can actually point out to something right there in Psalm 40, you should have read it. It would have kept you right in that grace of God. So you know, we can do ourselves a favor and devote ourselves. Just say, you know what, for the rest of my life, I'm going to read this thing over and over and over and over and over again and never get away from it. There is nothing past this. There's no Christian book you can buy that's as good as the Bible. You know what I would suggest? Don't even look 
for that magic book that somehow it's going to explain everything to you. It doesn't exist. But here's one. And you can say, Holy Spirit, I don't get it. Hit me three times on the head with a gospel hammer and help me to understand it. Will ya? And you know, he will answer a prayer like that. In fact, this is the promise in Isaiah. Your children shall all be taught of God. You can say, okay, I qualify. Teach me, sock it to me, let me have it. Make it big one-syllable words, please. But he will do that. So, the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that what you promise, you also fulfill. And we praise you and thank you for Jesus coming into the world. God incarnate in flesh to perfectly obey the law, to perfectly fulfill the curses, to perfectly redeem us and to give us new life and power to live that we can be happy yes, Lord. in your presence that you can be happy and Lord, we just want to relax in that. Yes. And thank you that you have made us acceptable in the beloved. Amen. And we just want to glorify you and worship you for that. Thank you so much for doing what we could never do. Yes. Thank you for fulfilling all your goodwill for us. Thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. Thank you so much. We praise you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Rob. So, any thoughts, questions?